0: Good morning. We are reading this morning from 1 John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world this is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith who is it that overcomes the world only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God this is the one who came by water and blood Jesus Christ he did not come by water only but by water and blood And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given us about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Thanks be to God for his word.
1: Amen. Good morning, everyone. If I asked you, are you a centred person? Would you know what I meant by that question? Are you a centred person? However you understand that question, what I would mean by that is is for some of us there is that sense that deep within us, whether it's a worldview, a framework, a particular passion, a priority, a a core conviction, that that actually forms for us like this really strong centre out of which we live and we be and we interact with the world around us. And so when things happen to us, when circumstances come against us, when there are prevailing winds of different social norms and social changes or things uh, unsettle us in our lives, we are not unsettled ourselves because within us there is this strong centre, this strong core. Does that make sense? Knowing that that was what I meant by that question, how would you answer? Are you a centred person? For me, this is a deeply personal concept and one that's been incredibly important over my life both in terms of my own self-understanding, but also in terms of how I've sought to live and how I've responded to life as it's happened to me. Looking back over my life, it's been my observation and my conviction that I feel my strongest, my most resilient, my most purposeful, my most passionate when I have the strongest sense of being centred when I really know what it is to live from this place of centre, that that seems to be those seasons in my life where I've had the greatest clarity or the greatest consistency of behaviour and purpose and commitment. Those times where I've had the greatest, I would suggest, fruitfulness and also the greatest sense of contentment. And it's meant in those times where I've been able to stand in that place of being centred that no matter what was going on around me in my personal life, in my family life, in my work life, in the context of society that seems to be never-endingly changing and coming against our faith, it's meant that those are the times where i felt secure, safe and certain. And that centre for me, is probably unsurprising if you know me and you know where we are, is my faith in Jesus. And not just some loose phrase or very nuanced understanding of that, but like the very core central part of that, my faith in Him, that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that as I look to Him, I recognise the one who would lay down His life that I might know life, my Saviour, yet the one who is of God and fully God and is my Lord. And so when everything else in my life is going crazy or haywire and that is the centre, then everything else becomes secondary and subordinate to that singular, beautiful and life-altering belief, my faith in Jesus. My friends, do you have that at the centre of your life? Do you have a sense of confidence, a sense of assurance that comes from having the very core of your being, the very core of your convictions set in stone, if you like, that your foundations are dug so deep into the rock that no matter what comes against you, that remains true. I mean, what I said, that's been a really important part of my life and my my journey of faith and my journey of living as a pastor, as a disciple, as a husband, just someone navigating life in Australia in this century. There are times where I've found myself chasing after that sense of being centeredness, because often some of the most simple and the most important and the most vital things are often a little bit elusive as well, aren't they? And so today we're wrapping up a series through the letter of 1 John, having worked our way through the Gospel of John in the back half of last year. And I don't know if you read the Gospels and you read the letters, not just seeing what they wrote, but almost getting to know who wrote them and what person they are. But for me, as I've read John, as I read through 1 John, it just strikes me that John has this absolutely profound sense of clarity, doesn't he? He has such a clearly defined sense of what's the most important, of what he's on about, why he writes, and the impact that he desires it to have on those who engage with his writings. And so we looked at it all through last year, as believe, 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 all throughout the Gospel of John, 98 times in his Gospel he uses the word in the verb form, to believe. Everything, therefore, that he includes and he writes, and the phrases and the stories that he tells of Jesus are designed to cause us to question, to think, to be inspired, to believe. And he even finishes off his gospel by writing very explicitly that his sole purpose in writing—and we said this from the front so many times last year that you all should have memorized it and be able to say along with me—John twenty verse thirty-one. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may. Have life in his name. Now, for John, that sense of clarity and that sense of centeredness, if you like, is not just limited to the gospel writing project. Like that is his center, that is his core conviction. And so it spills out into his pastoral letters. So he opens his letter. This is 1 John 1. We proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. I heard someone saying a quote this week that said, clarity brings mastery. I like that. I hadn't come across that particular phrase before. Clarity brings mastery. And I think there's some truth to that as 1 John chapter 5 is an absolute masterclass in assurance in having confidence, in having this strong centre of embracing first principles as deep convictions. So I don't know if you picked it up as Angie was reading through chapter 5, or if you've got your Bibles open, there's a particular phrase that jumps out of you because it's repeated multiple times throughout the chapter... But in verse 1, verse 5, verse 10 and verse 15, John is really clearly honing in on this idea of believing in Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. And so if you are someone this morning who finds yourself, like I sometimes do, chasing that sense of being centred and being deeply rooted in something, then I want to invite you into really engaging with what John writes in chapter 5 because I think he's writing it for us to get this sense. And we're going to go with two points today because it's a long weekend. I don't want to push the friendship. So the first one is this let what's at the centre remain at your centre. Let what's at the centre remain at your centre. Now, I've been preaching for a long time and I don't always remember the sermons I preached sorry, I don't think you guys do either. I certainly don't remember preparing each and every sermon. Uh, but over the years, you develop this core conviction or a sense of centeredness about why I preach and what I'm hoping to achieve and what my heart and my prayer is in opening the word and standing up in front of a group of people and actually speaking for extended amounts of time. Well, I remember one occasion, very specifically a couple of years ago, and I've been invited to speak at a place where I don't normally get to speak at, which was not in the context of a local church. It was in the context of a combined church's event. And this was going to be the largest crowd that I'd ever spoken in front of. And I remember in my preparation that I started going, I need to do this, I need to do this, and I need to do this. All these different points and purposes and, and hopes and dreams and heart for preparing this message. So someone had given me a theme, so I'm like, well I must make sure that I tie in with the theme because it's on the promo for the event. But then I'd picked a passage and I'm like, well I need to make sure that I'm biblically faithful to this passage and exegete this passage. There's gonna be a bunch of teenagers in the room so I'm like, well I'm gonna have to be funny. I'm gonna have to be like, you know, it's, it's gotta be accessible. Um you know there's this heart of going, well, I know some people in this room are going to be non-Christians, so I want to kind of reach out to them with the gospel, but the majority of people here are Christians and they're, and they're youth leaders, and I want to encourage and I want to inspire them, and I'm going to be speaking this in the context of my denomination, so there's going to be denominational leaders there, so I want to make sure that I'm faithful biblically and, and, you know, not to be really ugly about it or anything like that, but, you know, there's some people in this room I want to impress, you know, and so I found myself starting to do this spinning thing. I was like, I need to do this, 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 and I need to do this, and I lost a sense of centre. I lost that sense of being rooted. And one of the funny things is that as you do that, you actually lose confidence. Does that make sense? Because you don't know who you are, you don't know what you're on about, and you don't have that sense of clarity. And so obviously I prepared that particular message much more in advance than my normal one. So I actually had a chance to be able to pause and to stop and to step back and to breathe and to find that place of centeredness again and not feel pulled in all those different directions. All those other things were still true, Yeah. All those other things were still what I prepared that message in light of. Who was going to be in the room, where they're at in their faith journey, what the theme was, what the passage was, what I felt God had laid on my heart to speak. But I was able to step into it from a place of centeredness. You see I think for me life has often felt like that that we get pulled in many directions that we have many things to focus on that we have many things to balance and if we're not careful we end up getting unbalanced and we get that we kind of spin and we lose that sense of centeredness even within the Christian faith even within the context of our church we hear sermon after sermon and we preach from a place of deep conviction so you hear every week that this is the most important thing for you ever and so it's like oh my goodness i need to be doing this and i need to be doing this and as a Christian I need to be engaging with environmental issues and, and political issues and social issues but I need to make sure I need to read my Bible and what on earth is a Nephilim in the Old Testament and, and when is Jesus returning and how's that all working with a rapture and, and you start doing this and I'm supposed to be serving and if you lose a sense of centeredness you can end up spinning and becoming a little bit unbalanced and you lack confidence what is it that I'm actually being called into it who is it that God is actually calling me to be You add on to that the stresses of the world, the expectations of family, the demands of work, a society that does not know and love Jesus and He wants to tell us what is morally right. And all of a sudden, it's really hard sometimes to be in there. You see, like a spinning top, we want to be and we work best when we are centred, when we are stable, right? We want to be free to spin with all the energy and all the momentum to keep on going, And you get the sense that for John, he is so deeply centred in his core convictions, that that's not an issue for him. That he can write with clarity, that he can minister with consistency, that when he's thrown in prison and on exile, that doesn't shake who he understands himself to be. And you get the sense, as John is writing, that he's aware that not all believers have such a sense of confidence in their own life. And he writes with that in mind. Verse 13 of chapter 5, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to people who understood that. He's writing to people who already believe that. But John wants them to have it at their centre. To know that they know that they know. For it to be like solid ground under their feet. And that from that place of centeredness and core conviction and confidence that they can then move through life and engage with whatever life throws their way. Let what's at the center remain at your center. And at the center for us is Jesus. Jesus is without doubt the central motif of the New Testament and the biblical writers and including John, their core decision, their core encouragement for you and I is what are you going to do with this man? What are you going to believe about this man? How are you going to respond to this man? How are you going to live in light of the life and the ministry of this man? And you pick that up really easily through John chapter 5 as well. So John, it was very clear, very black and white, putting these things against each other, isn't he? Uh, The one who believes is born of God. The one who doesn't is not. The one who believes has victory over this present world. That's verses 4 and 5. The one who does not, does not. He who believes God believes his testimony about Jesus. The one who doesn't actually makes God out to be a liar. The one who believes has life. The one who does not, does not. And so John wants to be very clear knowing that what we believe about Jesus is one of the most important things that we can have at our centre. He wants to be very clear in what he means by believing in Jesus. And so there's a discussion there in verses 6 to 10. I liked what one commentator said. One commentator said that if he was trying to explain this to a modern reader, the one who came by water and blood might not be a particularly helpful phrase. That seems to be more confusing than clarifying. But in its context, John is very much having something in his mind, something grounded in history that his readers, his early readers, would be aware about. So, the idea of believing in Jesus is to believe in the one, verse 6, who came by water and blood. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And that's a really important distinction that John is trying to write to the early church. You see, for some, there was a little bit of a heresy that had crept in that would see Jesus as being divine, God's favor, Jesus, the eternal word of God, if you like, came upon Jesus, and yet left before he was crucified on the cross. Because after all, it is a fairly confronting theological belief that God himself would experience human death for our sakes out of the richness of his mercy and his grace. And so John is clarifying that when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about the one who is of God, who came from God, who is himself God in everything that he did in his earthly life. But we're also talking about Jesus, the word of life, the word from God, God himself, who would submit himself to that awful Roman punishment of crucifixion. In doing so, taking on the sins of the world. That's what he means by water and blood. It's this understanding of who Jesus is and what he had come to do. One of the Bible commentaries writes this. I've got a few little dense quotes for you today. I figured you'd be at the beach a long weekend. You want to come to church, you want the meaty stuff. So uh, I love what one guy wrote. As soon as we reduce the death of Jesus to that of a mere man, so soon do we lose the cardinal point of the New Testament doctrine of the atonement, that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. In the last analysis, the doctrine of the atonement means that God himself bears our sins and shows that the final reality in the universe is his sin-bearing, pardoning love. But if Jesus is not the Son of God, his death can no longer bear this significance. The last couple of weeks, we've referenced John chapter 3, verse 1, how great the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason that verse rings true, the reason that love has been lavished upon us is the sin-bearing, pardoning love of God shown in and through Jesus. It is because of Him, who He is and what He's done. And it's not simply our understanding or our intellectual agreement that we're called to keep at our centre. It's our belief in him, our faith in him. Church, in 2019, we're going to talk about a lot of things. And we're going to talk about what it means to pursue transformation. We've already heard a little bit about that from our youth group, which is super awesome. And we're going to be praying into that. We're going to be pursuing it. But this is why, and this is at its core. It's because this is who Jesus is. He's the one who came, who showed us life, who laid down his life to make a way for us to be reconnected and restored, to right relationship with the Father. Do we believe this? Then let's have it at our centre. Let's have it at our core. I think we already uh, sung together today, great words, great choice. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. It's what it means to have him at the centre. It's what it means to live in confidence from this place of deep conviction, of being centred in and building our lives around the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. So what's at the centre? Remain at our centre. And at your centre, know the difference that believing makes. So for some people, a simple framework or or an understanding of the world is enough to be at their centre. But the biblical understanding of belief goes so much beyond that. He's not just saying what you believe is how you can live in confidence and respond to everything that's around you, but it's actually the difference that that belief makes that enables you to have such strong sense of centeredness and confidence as you navigate this life. So... We're going to pick up a few throughout chapter 5. One of the reasons that I'm so moved by this idea of centeredness and core convictions and right foundations is that I've seen person after person and experienced it in my own life. Times where even though I believe in Jesus, even though I understand what that means for me, kind of missed out on the power of that as I've searched for those things. Here's the examples. So in verse 1, John very clearly says this, that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And I think of time after time, and I'll just share one story in particular, where I was sitting across the couch from a young person at another church, this was a few years ago, and they were sharing just the ways that sin was still pervasive in their life, the, way, the things that they were still tempted to, and their own sense of, of failure around those things. And as they talked, and as they reflected, and as they shared, some of those phrases, those false narratives started spilling out well, God must be so angry at me. God must be so displeased with me. He didn't use that word, but that was the emphasis of the sharing. And that sense of, I don't really know where I now stand in relationship to God. Am I still in his love? I know I'm theologically a child of God. And does this make sense? Have you ever been there? I love what one commentator said, talking about verse 3, that God's commands are not burdensome. That actually what we often do is we pick up God's commands as a stick to whack ourselves with because we see the ways that we failed. We see the ways that we have not loved God, that we have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We have not loved the children of God in the ways that we're called to, even in 1 John. And so we use this as this stick to beat ourselves up and to cause us to question, well, where do we actually now stand in relationship with God. And I like to think I've got pretty locked down tight theology, so I would never say that or think that, but gee, sometimes I feel that. At your centre, knowing the difference that believing makes, makes an enormous difference. When John writes, he writes to a body of believers just like us and he says, know that you are born of God got nothing to do with what you do or say, what you do not do or do not say, got nothing to do with how many ministries you serve at a church, whether those ministries are fruitful and effective or, or not. It doesn't matter how many times you fail to read your Bible at a day or you don't know how to pray or you stuff up, whatever it is. You are and you have been of God. This is a relational phrase. This is a change that has taken place in your fundamental nature. And this comes purely by faith as a gift from God. Your fundamental nature has been changed. And we represent that through the power of baptism, don't we? We don't baptise people saying, isn't it great that they signed up to our Christian club? Isn't it great that they now intellectually agree with the things that we intellectually agree with? Isn't it great they now have our same set of morals and ethics to live in? No, we celebrate they've moved from death to life, that they are born again into the family of God, considered righteous in the eyes of God a child of God permanently, everlastingly by grace and faith alone. At your centre, knowing the difference that believing this makes, that you are now born of God, will make an incredible difference for the confidence in which you will approach God. And at the end of the passage, it it jumps into the confidence we can have in prayer, but we're going to do seven weeks on that, so I thought I'd leave that for the next seven weeks. But that's one of the ways, isn't it? When we have that at our centre, we have confidence in our relationship with God. And one of the other ways is that a really interesting phrase, that everyone born of God are, overcomes the world. So this is verse 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now that first reading sounds like a pretty sweet verse because I want to be a king and I want to own and I want to dominate this thing called life. Not what he's talking about, of course. In saying the world, he's talking about anything and everything that within the structures of our world and society that is opposed to the rule and reign of God. And he's already talked about that in chapter 2. So here's another one, a pretty chunky um, quote from a, a Bible commentary. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. The idea is not a new one in the letter. We saw as far back as chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, that this world as an organised system is implacably acclosed to the things of God. It is under the control of the evil one, 5 verse 19. But the new birth removes us from that sphere of decay and death, praise be to God, amen, and translates us into the kingdom of eternal life, chapter 3 verse 14. For Jesus is the only source of the divine power which is strong enough to overcome our enemies. That has to be believed in practice and in action or there will be no power. But wherever that faith is central and active, there is victory. Again, we have to stress this is not to say that the conflict is over, but that the outcome is settled. So another story, I sat with someone only a couple of weeks ago who was talking about them for the push and the pull that they feel with the world. Its values, its temptations, all that kind of stuff. And they're trying to resist it, but they're experiencing the classic Paul struggle. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Woe to me, what a wretched man I am. And so this young adult male was because I look at me and he goes, I feel that maybe I should just give up. I feel like if I'm never going to have victory over this, if I'm just going to consistently be capitulating to the world and its pressures and its enticements, then maybe I should just give up. At your centre, know the difference that believing makes. That as we believe, that as we are born again, that we have power, not in and of ourselves, but because of him, to overcome that which is directly opposed to him in this life and in this world. Does that make sense? And the third one that he he talks about is that whoever has the Son has life. And this is verse 12. And then into verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And if you want to hear more about that or engage more with that point, I'm going to refer you to our website and a sermon that I preached at the end of last year on John chapter 14, which was all about living in light of our future hope, where I suggested that actually when we have that at our centre, when we have that as our core conviction, it brings comfort when we need it in this present life. It brings clarity around who we are and how we're to live and it actually gives us courage to live for him wholly and wholeheartedly every day until he returns. So I started with that question, are you a centred person? When you think about right now what is going on in your life, in your inner world, is there that sense of being a spinning top that is ever so slightly unbalanced, trying to find its track and stay true? True and then to be able to have confidence to know how to respond, how to pursue God, how to serve Him, how to engage with the various social and political, maybe workplace, maybe family differences and philosophies and opinions. I think 1 John chapter 5 is a gift to us, my friends. It's a gift to keep first things first, to keep true principles at the very centre of who we are and to build our lives upon them in a way that we can weather the storms, in the ways that we can resist the winds of change that blow back and forward across our society throughout each age, and that we can stay in this wonderful place that I see the Apostle John live out, that I see the Apostle Paul live out, that i see so many believers live out, particularly those in persecuted countries. They know that they know that they know whose they are, in whom they've placed their trust, and they live for him without fear, without abandonment, without compromise. Let those who have ears to hear, hear.